Good morning. When we finished uh, last week's sermon at the end of 2 Peter chapter 3, somebody came up to me and asked, uh, basically, what book are we going to next? You should know me. We're not first, we're not through with 2 Peter 3. So, uh, going to 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to look a little further um, and take into account some other things that, that relate to this truth. But it's worth looking back at, at 2 Peter overall and recognizing um, what Peter is seeking to do in this book. That this book is both a warning and an encouragement and, and the recognition that he's warning us, he warned us about false teaching, he warns us about false prophets, he warns us about turning to false doctrines, and he also warns us about the loss of steadfastness. The loss of, of a strong, firm, ongoing stand with God. And so both of those threaten us. Peter is, is as a pastor, I mean, one thing, if you read the, the book as a whole, one thing that comes across real clearly is Peter has the heart of a pastor over his flock, of a shepherd over his flock. And he's saying, I see some threats. I see some lions and tigers and bears. And I want to warn you and protect you. And that one of those threats is false teaching coming into the church and arising within the church. But another threat is just losing strength of commitment. Just losing passion and fervor for God and the things of God. Just growing weak in, in the discipleship and the following after God. And I would say that's actually probably more of a threat for most of us. I think most of you have been believers for, for even just a few years. Start to get a, a pretty good grasp on the basic truths of, of the gospel. The basic truths of New Testament truths that apply to us and belong to us as believers. So the enemy's next strategy is, well, if I can't pull you away from the truth, I'll just weaken, I'll just work to, to sag and, and lower the strength and the passion of your commitment to those truths and your commitment to grow and prosper in those truths. So that's, that's his warning, is look out for those two threats and his encouragement, quite simply, is to grow. To win the battle against these by growing in the truth. And, and he makes it real clear at the beginning of the book and the end of the book that he's saying, grow in the true knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Grow in the truth of this gospel. Grow in comprehending more and more layers to this. Uh, we've talked about this numerous times. Um, 
if we could, if we could look back for, for all of you who've been believers, uh, I would say even for more than a year, that the odds are really good that if you've been in the Word of God on, a, on any kind of consistent basis, there would be moments when you're in the Word of God and all of a sudden something just leaps out at you and you see a connection you didn't see before. Or there will be something you're, you're praying about and struggling with and, and you turn on some worship music or some Christian station and suddenly out of the Word of God, Something speaks to the exact need that you have right then. So that one way or another, we get these moments where sons and daughters of God, we recognize this is an ongoing process. And it's not because every week I'm going to learn a new doctrine. So I promise you, we do not have 52 new doctrines to teach you through, through every year. That would wear us out anyway, even if it was true. That, but that recognition, we, we get to and we need to keep growing deeper and deeper and deeper in our grasp of the truth. And then part of this, as we were talking about in Sunday school, is the more I'm in the Word, the more you and I are in the Word, the more we start to comprehend that the character of God binds the Word of God into one coherent message. God is not just saying a whole bunch of different stuff that everything connects as it flows from his character, from the kind of father he is, the kind of savior he is, the kind of creator and God that he is. It, it connects, and that connection strengthens us. The recognition of, of being able to see that one mind wrote this whole Bible out of love for me, he's now communicating things to me that strengthen my confidence in the truth, and that then strengthened my power and authority to go live that truth. So out of this, let me read the last two verses again of 2 Peter chapter 3. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men, so again, those false teachers, and fall from your own steadfastness. So again, the recognition, I can, simply, I can simply lose the spiritual battle by losing my passion for God. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And Lord read from us, if you'll turn over to that passage. He read from us Ephesians 6. And again, this is a passage that most of us are, are pretty familiar with. But I would like us to look at it fresh, look at it again, in light of Peter's cautions. Peter's saying, get ready. False teaching, false, false directions, false leadership will come against you as believers. That will be true through all of human history. Be prepared for that. I've given you warning, and Jesus says the same thing. He says, behold, I've told you ahead of time that false teachers will arise. So you be ready. And then he also says, I don't want you to lose steadfastness. So let's go to Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. As we clarify this, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So right away, it's worth recognizing 
every now and then, you and I, whether it comes up in a sermon or a Sunday school class or not, every now and then, you and I get to be wise enough and motivated enough to say, you know what? Every now and then, I need to look at this passage just to clarify, am I truly putting on the full armor of God? Am I ready for today's battles? And, and it's not a mysterious code. It is not some kind of, you got to get the, the words just right to make sure you've put on the armor. These are truths that God speaks, and now I agree with those truths. So it's not a formula. And again, I, I've, I've known quite a few people through the years who were struggling to understand why they're being defeated in their life because they had actually built a ritual, and I'll, I'll call it that because of what I'm talking about. They had built a ritual of praying to put on the full armor of God. So that they would say, okay, I, I put on this, I put on this, I put on this, I put on this, amen, ready for the day. That's not putting on the armor of God. It might be. It might be. But just saying the words are not a heart agreement with God on the truths behind those words. So that gets to be what you and I are concentrating on paying attention to, Father, is I want to comprehend what the armor of God is really about. So it's not a formula, I pray, any more than saying the Lord's Prayer is a formula, and now I'm covered for the day's prayer. Anything in Scripture, sadly, anything in Scripture practically, we can turn it into an empty ritual that has no spiritual authority because the power of things God teaches is the power of God through our faith in Him. That we're believing what we choose and what we say and what we agree to is powerful because of Him. This is an interpersonal process. It's not a ritual. It's not taking on a, a habit and somehow the habit just has magic power in and of itself. So this recognition that this is a real process of agreement with God and he goes on to say this in 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So again, whether it's about false teaching or whether it's about all the influences in my life that are trying to diminish my passion for God, I get to recognize this. There is a thinking, scheming, planning enemy behind all of that. That doesn't mean I have to live in fear and see a demon behind every bush. That doesn't mean I live in fear and I'm constantly afraid of everything around me because I'm wondering, is that a satanic plan? Is that a satanic plan? That is not what this is about. This is not about a mindset of fear or seeing Satan everywhere. Satan's everywhere on this planet. He's not everywhere, but he's everywhere on this planet. But there's nothing in Scripture that commands me to keep Satan at the core of my vision. I'm commanded to keep Jesus Christ at the core of my vision. And now I'm simply aware that Satan is there. But I'm also recognizing this. That's the real enemy. So when he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, we've talked about this numerous times, there are times when flesh and blood sure looks like the enemy. There are plenty of times when we're pretty sure it's that guy standing right in front of us or that woman standing right in front of us. That's the enemy. 
And that God is trying to offer us a higher wisdom and a, and a wiser battle plan that we would recognize, no, that is not the enemy. That human being who is causing me harm or sadness or grief or distress, deep sorrow, pain, anguish, they may be a tool in the hands of the enemy, but I want to discern who the real enemy is, so I fight the right battle. Real simple concept, so that I fight the right battle. And so that means that if a human being in front of me feels like the enemy, that's a good time, real serious, battle strategy. That's a good time to begin the father-son, father-daughter conversation. Father, right now, I want to remember that this person in front of me is not the real enemy. And I want to be discerning on what the enemy is aiming for. Now, real simple, also real simple concept. If the enemy hates what God hates, if the enemy is opposed to what God holds most important, then it's always good to begin at the core. So Jesus said, here's the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. And he gave us two commandments several times through the Gospels. The first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your soul. So that, that recognition of a full passion love relationship with God, that's not everything about this battle, but it's worth recognizing somewhere in this plan, the enemy is hoping that because of what's happening to me right now, because of what I'm hearing or what I'm experiencing, the enemy is hoping I will withdraw a little bit from the love relationship with God, from trusting God, from believing God's purposes for my life. He's hoping that something about this love relationship will be a little tarnished and diminished by how I face this battle. And that is incredibly common. How many times have you thought in your life, because of something you were facing, something you were battling, something you were struggling with, something that you felt under attack over, and some question came into your mind, Father, are you here with me? Are you here with me? Father, are you loving me? Aren't you ignoring me right now? Haven't you abandoned me? And even, yes, I can always count on you for total honesty. And, and that recognition that in that battle moment, God is saying, it may feel like that, but fight the real enemy right now. Right now. Even if it's through tears of pain and sorrow and grief and anguish, that we would actually in that moment, in our heart of hearts, and if necessary, out loud with our mouth, Father, I choose the love relationship right now while I'm in battle. And a lot of times it might not be appropriate to say that out loud because that other person will assume that you're calling them the enemy just by the fact that you're making it clear there's a battle. So wisdom also prevails here. But that recognition, but in my heart, I need to say that. I need to choose that. I need to agree with that. And where I'm actually asking for help, where I'm actually depending on something. So this passage doesn't, Directly say it, but it's all woven through. How many here have memorized John 15, 5? Okay. 
The rest of you have homework. Uh, and, and I'm only being one, one billionth facetious when I say that. that. That recognition that this is such a clear statement by Jesus, it's worth having at the core of my battle plan, any battle plan, anytime I'm fighting spiritual warfare. That Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. So even when we're in spiritual battle, whether we're, we're fighting something false coming against us, whether we're fighting something that's trying to pull us down in discouragement or weakness, to recognize, I'm not supposed to do this moment alone. I don't prove something to God by doing it alone. I got this, God. I, I'm going to show you what a tough disciple I am. You don't need to help me. I'm going to get this done. I bet none of you in this room have ever said anything that stupid. I do use the word stupid often. That would be a really stupid thing to say. But we frequently, even when we wouldn't say it, we operate as if we believe it. I'm going to do this moment alone. How do I know? Well, because I've not yet gone to Jesus and chosen him. I'm not in my heart of hearts saying, Father, I agree. I truly cannot do this alone. I choose Jesus Christ, your son, powerful and alive, dwelling in me. I choose that. And you don't have to say those words, like, again, like they're some kind of magic charm, but that we're choosing the truth and believing that truth, and we depend on the life of Jesus Christ for this battle. So not flesh and blood, a real enemy, and I start by going back to the love relationship, clinging to the love relationship, and remembering that Jesus Christ dwelling within me is my power to fight both false teaching or anything that would lead me astray, but also to recognize that the life and power of Jesus Christ is my passion and my strength to stay faithful to God in the face of discouragement and pain and opposition. And, and I would bet if we had time, practically everybody in this room is facing something. Something financial, something physical in your, in your areas of health, something relationally, someone you love that's causing you heartache or distress, something in your, in your planning for the future that is confusing, or plans or hopes or dreams that you thought God was opening up and they've crashed and now they're not happening. On and on and on. A multitude of things in our families and our finances and our health and our, our overall well-being in life that we face challenge and battle. And so I hope while I'm saying that, you're thinking about what your battles are. That you're actually choosing, Father, I want to fight that battle deeper and stronger with this wisdom that I'm not fighting humanity, I'm not fighting one human, I'm not, I'm not even fighting a set of circumstances. I'm fighting against an enemy who hopes that through this circumstance, I will be pulled away from you. I will be diminished in knowing and loving and trusting you. I will be pulled away to something else. Or I'll just grow colder and less confident in this love relationship. Something in me would be diminished. Let's fight for the opposite. So 2 Peter 3 ends with the challenge to grow. Keep growing. That is your most powerful offense against the enemy attack is a commitment and a plan to keep growing. Now, he goes on to this in Ephesians. 
says, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. So he's used this phrase, stand firm, about four times through this whole passage. So again, steadfastness and stand firm go hand in hand. One of the marks of, of maturity spiritually, this is, this is real, one of the marks of maturity is that my commitment to God and my pursuit of God doesn't fluctuate month by month, year by year, doesn't go up, doesn't go down, doesn't diminish because I'm having a hard time financially, doesn't diminish because I'm having a hard time physically, doesn't diminish because I'm getting old and feeble, and I'm getting old and feeble. But that recognition that whatever I'm facing, this is the mindset that God is saying. See your life through all of those circumstances as a steady movement forward in your growth into the character and the likeness of Jesus Christ. See it that way. Choose it that way. Fight it that way. Keep choosing that mindset that, Father, my life is now about growth. It's not just, am I saved? And, I'm, and maybe I go to church pretty often when it's convenient. Maybe I go to Bible studies pretty often when it's convenient. Maybe I pray through the day when it's convenient. Maybe I'm in the Word of God when it's convenient. But Father, I don't want to get too crazy about that stuff. I don't want to, I don't want to get out of whack on that by acting like that stuff's crucial. So discipleship means anything that will nourish my, my growth in Christ I make passionate, wise, but passionate commitment to nourish myself for that growth. So I'm willing to do things that are not convenient because they nourish my walk, they nourish my faith, they nourish my confidence, they nourish my knowledge, they nourish me in a love relationship. They don't just make me more religious. Being more religious has zero, zero godly and eternal value. Just being religious. But if I look religious to somebody because I'm passionate about the things of God, that's irrelevant if they think I'm too religious. If I know, no, Father, this is not about hollow religion and I'm just filling in the boxes. This is about my passionate relationship with you. So I've known folks that, that absolutely, I would say beyond a shadow of a doubt, have way more discipline than me. And yet what I saw in their life was so joyless that I recognized all that religiosity doesn't inspire me to follow their, their path. Because I don't see a joyful love relationship. God is saying, I want you in fellowship with believers every wise opportunity you have because you're developing love relationships with me and with them, not because you want to prove you're religious. And same with your time in the Word and time in prayer and, and time witnessing or anything that God calls you to, and He calls us to many things. But that we comprehend this is about spiritual gain, not religiosity. And, and in fact, the, the best treatise against religiosity is the New Testament. If we really read the New Testament well, he's constantly warning us, God is constantly warning us about being religious for religious sake, but he's also passionately challenging us to grow the real thing. And he goes on with this, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, 
and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So having girded your loins with truth. Um, in, in the context of armor, and most of you know this, girding your loins comes up several times in Scripture. I remember when I was a kid going to Sunday school. How many times in the Old Testament we'd be reading some story about David going to battle or somebody going into battle and it said they girded their loins. And I had no mental picture for what girding your loins meant. Um, I had no mental picture. But that recognition, it meant something. It meant somebody saying here, I'm dressed casually. I'm dressed casually for walking around. I'm dressed casually for just doing my day-to-day -day routine. But now if I'm going into battle, I grab up my robe, I grab up my garments, and I tie them. I get them out of the way so that I'm mobile and deadly for battle. So that I am mobile and deadly for battle. I don't want to trip up on my casual robes right in the middle of battle. And so it's worth recognizing and saying, here's how you and I today in spiritual battle. So again, please be thinking, what are your spiritual battles? Is, is it a battle against temptation in some area of sin? Is it a battle against discouragement? Is it a battle because it's difficult to relate to some others in the body of Christ? Maybe there's hurt feelings. Maybe there's, there's genuine sinfulness against you or you against them that has not been resolved. Is it a battle against fear of the future? Is it a battle for provision and a battle for trust in that area? What is your spiritual battle? Keep that in mind while we do this. Because what he says is, here's how you're going to gather up your casual garments and get ready for battle. It's the truth. So several things Jesus said in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am so bad about writing on the board. But in John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So again, when we're talking about girding ourselves with truth, one of the things that Jesus is saying is all the truth that you're going to understand and grow in and comprehend deeper that prepares you for battle. That truth is all about me and in me and related to me. So it's not just independent truth. Now I know some spiritual principles. Now I've learned some verses. It really is comprehending. Father, all these principles I'm learning and all these verses I'm memorizing, they're meant to take me deeper into the life and power of Jesus Christ who is my preparation for battle. Jesus, you are my preparation for battle. You personally are my preparation for battle. And I want to comprehend you more so that I'm well girded for battle. I'm actually prepared to not get distracted and trip on my casual robes because I'm ready to fight. Also, Jesus in John 8, 32 says that this, this truth, you'll know this truth, and truth will set you free. So if I'm talking about all this slavery that the enemy's trying to accomplish, the deeper embedded I am in the truth, the more protected I am from any slavery, and the more equipped I am to overcome any slavery. So everybody in this room, everybody in this room, is still in the process of being set free from slavery. Nobody here is finished. So this is a good principle for us to keep in mind. 
that, Father, wherever there is still any kind of grip of the flesh in my life, where there is any kind of residue of worldly thinking instead of godly thinking, wherever there is a residue of self-reliance instead of Christ-reliance, where there is anything that doesn't fit with your character in me, how I handle anger, how I handle fear, how I handle, ham, how I handle need or deprivation, how I handle success. Father, if there's anything that is not of you and me, that's a slavery. I need more of the truth of Jesus Christ to overcome so that Jesus himself is the power and the means of my freedom. He goes on here. He says, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Um, I think every time we talk about this passage, uh, I address it from this angle. How many people here, you don't have to raise your hands because I don't want to embarrass you. How many people here, when you read that, put on the breastplate of righteousness, think, uh-oh, I don't have enough righteousness for that to be much protection. I'm sort of wearing like a mesh t-shirt and calling that armor. No, this can't be my righteousness. This literally cannot be my righteousness. So, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, let's go to that passage. Some of you are very familiar with this passage, but it's a really important passage. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, where he says this. Actually, start, start up a little in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so that passage is describing this incredible exchange that occurred at the very moment when you put your faith in Jesus Christ this incredible thing he just described happened where you were wearing your sin and Jesus was wearing the righteousness of God. And when you put your faith in Christ, he's really describing that this happened. That at that moment of faith, your sin was transferred to Jesus and he became your sin. So that the wrath poured out on him of God paid for that sin. But he also adds this incredible layer of truth. All the righteousness of Jesus Christ was laid on you. That in that moment of faith, you're standing before God, was you put on and became. Strong language here. Jesus became our sin, and we became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And again, back to, back to truth and back to faith in the truth. At any point in any day throughout your entire life, somebody could come to you, and usually that somebody would be speaking on behalf of the accuser, your real enemy, and say, well, you don't look a whole lot like Jesus right now. You don't look like you're, you're exhibiting the righteousness of Christ. And I, I hope we would, at that moment, each one of us would, would be able to say two or three truthful things. That we could truthfully say, you're right. You're right. But like Paul, we could say, but thank God I'm not where I once was. Thank God I've been growing. And thank God I am further along in maturing into that righteousness 
But you're right. That like Paul, I have to say, I have not yet arrived. So I'm going to press on in that growth. But I also have this. Right now, while I am so unfinished, I am covered in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Right now. And that is such an important truth because it protects you from so many lies of the enemy. There's a whole multitude of lies the enemy wants to get, a, get away with in your life and my life by having us forget that one simple truth. I am covered in the righteousness of Christ at every moment. That's faith to believe that. So sight would be to look at myself and go, hmm, can't be true. Or to look at you and go, definitely not true. Or maybe it's the other way around. But, but that recognition that what God's saying is, look at my son's death. Because I want you to see in the, my son's death, you took on the righteousness of God. And at your weakest moment, your, your most fallible moment, even your most sinful moment, I want you to remember what my son accomplished as an act of faith. Because guess what? That faith helps set us free from the slavery to the thing that the enemy's trying to push on us. It's actually our power to overcome sin. So believing in the righteousness of Christ in truth, in faith, in comprehension is never an allowance for sin. It's never permission to sin. Well, I'm righteousness. I, I have the righteousness of Christ. I guess I can go ahead and get away with this. I don't know of anybody who really loves and treasures that truth who uses it as an excuse for sin. But if anything, it becomes motivation and power to go, you know what? What was I thinking? Why was I so foolish to give in to that when I have the righteousness of Christ covering me? I need to live what I'm, what, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, I need to live, live worthy of my calling. I'm already judged worthy. Now I need to live worthy of my calling. So this truth is a really powerful truth to comprehend this righteousness. Also, go to Philippians 3.9. Actually, let's start. Let's start with verse 7. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And again, he's talking about it in a very personal way. Getting to really know Jesus Christ, my Lord. This is of surpassing value. For whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And again, he's keeping it real personal. That I may gain Christ himself. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So again, Paul is making it real clear the the. The faith I put in Jesus Christ includes this. Not just that he died for my sins, but now that I have received his righteousness. 
And I, I would bet for most of us this week, for most of us this week, maybe not everybody, but for most of us this week, that truth will matter at some point. That truth will matter for encouragement. It'll matter for wise battle against the enemy. It'll matter for overcoming temptation and sin. Which again, it doesn't mean that because I'm covered in righteousness, now I'm lazy about sin. Now I am even more passionate about overcoming sin because if I have received the full standing of his righteousness, I want to grow up to look like that. I want to keep growing up to mature into that. But I keep remembering that no matter how I grow and how I mature, at no point did I earn it. You guys know that. At no point did I earn it. And we're going we're gonna to pause there. I, I knew this was going to happen. So did you. Uh, that we would not get through that passage today. But that recognition that, that everything God's teaching us, he's teaching us with the heart desire that we would receive it with joy, not as a burden. We would receive it as, as equipping and power and joyful purpose. That I am free to overcome false teaching and I'm free to strengthen my steadfastness, my fervor, my passion for God, being immersed in the truth. Now, part of what that means, and, and this will come up almost every week, no matter what passage or book or topic we're studying, is the challenge that I get to be in the Word of God to gain this truth. So I would hope that that's part of the growth, part of the joyful growth, that being in the Word of God is not my Christian duty. It's my nourishment. It's my equipping. It's incredible mystery and treasure put into my hands for real life. So the day I don't need the Word of God, how would I say that more accurately? Well, I'll just say it real straightforward. There won't be a day I don't need the Word of God. That's the best way to say it, just a straightforward statement. There will not be a day you do not need the Word of God. And it doesn't mean necessarily that every day you do a 40-minute Bible study and have concordances and thesauruses and... and uh, Matthew's commentary on the whole Bible. There, there are moments for that study. There, there are days and, and times for that study. But that every day you and I would be saying, Father, there needs to be some kind of two-way conversation going on here. Today, today, I need that today. So I really want to encourage you and challenge you. Keep figuring out what that looks like for you, that you are in the Word every day so that He can speak with you so that you're in prayer every day, so that he gets to hear from you. Figure out what that looks like. You don't have to do it exactly the way your husband do it, or the way your wife does it. I was poor English. The way your husband or wife does it. You can do it very different. You don't have to do it the way your parents do it, or the way your, your son or daughter, or, or your, your mentor, or your Bible study leader. You don't have to do it the same way somebody else does it, but the, the the point is that there would be some kind of genuine, ongoing engagement with God. Father, you and I, you and I are going to be in absolute conversation today. And I'm going to be in your word, and even if it's I take one verse and I ponder this one verse all day long, or whether I study an entire book today and have all those thesauruses and 
commentaries, doesn't matter. We are going to be in a two-way love conversation because I need your truth to gird myself for battle. I must have your truth to gird myself for battle. And I just want to be smart enough to come get ready. So that father-son, father-daughter love relationship includes a two-way conversation. And we get to choose what that looks like out of, out of conversation with God without worrying it whether it copies somebody else. But it's the real thing between us and this living God. Let's pray together. Father, we know this all the time, all the time, everything we study, that we just barely understand the edges of what we're studying. But Father, you've given us more than enough to grow. More than enough to grow. And Father, again, I, I thank you that your plan for us is that we would grow in joy. That it wouldn't be a legalistic thing. It wouldn't be a self-righteous thing to prove we're better than somebody. It would be the real thing. It would just be a faith and love conversation with you. And Father, every one of us is going to be in spiritual battle this week. Every single one of us. There's not one believer in the room that the enemy will leave alone this week. Not one of us will be left alone. And Father, you said that perfect love casts out fear. That the more we comprehend your love, we don't have to face the truth of battle out of fear. Because we are well prepared. If we go pick up our weapons and we go pick up our armor and we go pick up our resources, you have fully equipped us for the battle. And Father, I pray that your spirit would be working if there's anybody in the room who is discouraged in their battle. Father, discouraged because of wounds, discouraged because of lies, discouraged because of damage that someone else who claims to be you, speak for you, represent you, has done. That your spirit would work around that and through that to offer them the tenderness of your own love and your own comfort. To offer them the tenderness of your own patience, your own grace, and your own help for them to grow. That you have promises that are the exact promises we need right now and whatever we're facing in life, you're ready. And Father, if there are others who are struggling with rebellion, to defy you, to hold you at arm's length, that even though they know you, even though they know you, that they resist your lordship, then Father, we pray that your spirit would be wisdom for their thinking, to comprehend the cost of rebellion, the horrible destructive cost of rebellion, and to be restored to desiring the joy of intimacy with you, to desiring to walk with you, desiring the, the peacefulness and the confidence of your leadership through the day. And Father, if there are those that are just defeated by sin, that can't shake some sin, can't overcome some sin, keep making promises and vows to you, and then in the next moment see themselves stumble and fall. Father, your spirit would help them come to you, not for a magic switch, but for the life and power of Jesus Christ to absolutely pursue an avenue of growth, to absolutely take the next step and the next step and the next step. And Father, if there are those that are doing any of these things in isolation, help us as the body of Christ to be sensitive and available. And Father, help them to be wise enough to reach out and ask for help. 
All these things, Father, we put in your hands. You are the true and the living God. You're exactly the good Father that we need. And you're ready for the battles of our day. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.